Oh, the 90s, where you didn't have a care in the world. You know, except volcano eruptions, asteroids hitting the Earth, and other disasters that Mother Nature could throw at us. Well, we got one for you by recommendation of our special guest, because we're talking movies, we're talking 1996 Twister, starring the late Bill Paxton, Helen Hunt, and Philip Seymour Hoffman. Written by Michael Pritchan and his wife, Anne-Marie Martin, and directed by Jean DeBond. Chris, she didn't marry you for your penis. Okay, she didn't marry only for your penis. I gotta go, Julia. We got cows. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of How'd You Like That Movie? We're kicking off a month of CanCon-related content, uh, and the best way to do that is a local uh, producer director primarily director uh reese evanesson and he's gonna correct that because i just butchered his name and we're gonna be talking about twister how's it going reese and i am so sorry no no that's that's totally fine thank you so much for uh having me on here today to talk about one of the best movies of the 90s so so uh for our audience why don't you uh do some shameless self-promotion and uh yeah biopic us you know give us the 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 cool notes Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, oh, boy. Okay, well, my name is Reese uh, Evanescence. Uh, <laughs> Reese Evanescence, uh, filmmaker, writer, director, kind of just do a little bit of everything. Oh, man. Getting put on the spot to do any sort of biopic is awful. I hate it. <laughs> well, so what, what got you here? Like, I mean, to be a director, and I mean, you are not new to the game. Uh, when when would you say you was your like first film that you would consider an important milestone in your career? Sure, yeah. So the first like thing that did anything for me was a little scrappy zombie movie I shot in two thousand and nine called Dead Genesis. Now this was a movie that we just went out and shot for. You know, like I'm just a massive fan of zombie movies. I mean, really, who isn't these days? And. Uh, that was kind of back in the day when there wasn't a million different zombie related things. And I sort of wanted to kind of take my own stamp on it and go out and just with my friends and do a buddy's backyard and go shoot a little zombie movie. We shot the thing for like $6,000 over the course of maybe 12, 14 days. Not a single person made any money on it. Nobody got paid. We paid for the special effects and that was about it. And it's just like, we kind of pieced it together in our own time and I, I mean, the damn thing got picked up and sold worldwide and managed to do like, okay, for what it was, you know, like it wasn't a massive success by any means, but it sort of got my foot in the door. And from there, I just started working on other projects. And then a few years after that, I kind of threw caution to the wind and I made this, oh my God, this massive, what I thought at the time was this super important, like sci-fi movie, um, and I I was kind of in a place where it had taken so long. I, I had assumed, because I made Dead Genesis when I was 22, that it was like, oh, offers will just start rolling in. That's how it works. You know, you release a movie and you get it sold. And I didn't fully understand the gravity and the size of the, the world film market and how, you know, you're just, you're, you know, you're a dime a dozen. There's a million of those people like you trying. So by the time I was able to get any actual money for my next movie, I was so paranoid that I wasn't going to be able to make anything after that, that I kind of threw everything but the kitchen sink in there. Was that, uh, thought, was that defective in 2017? That was defective. That's right. Yeah. 
And I just, I made the movie that I would want to see. Like, I pretended we were making this massive, big, like, huge blockbuster on a very, very, very small budget. Um, and that came out and did okay money-wise, but, like, review-wise, festival-wise, it was, oh, it was brutal. Just brutal. Like, just raked over the coals. Horrible reviews. And just kind of died as quickly as it came out. And I said, that's it. I'm not doing anything else. And then um, a friend of mine came to me, Gabe Carrere, and he said, listen, I got this project I want to do. And, you know, I got kind of like this idea for it. And I was, wasn't was sure if you wanted to take a crack at just writing it. I know you're not really doing much right now. So I wrote up this little movie. Um, and I just kind of put like all my misplaced aggression about my feelings towards how shitty the last one it did and put it all into this script. And next thing I knew, we were funded, greenlit, and we were both standing on set and we were co-directing a movie called For the Sake of Vicious. And I didn't have much faith in it. He did. God bless him. Uh, he saw something there and I just sort of was like, let's just get this thing done. I was so, I don't know, it was just such an intense, crazy shoot. And then sure enough, that movie just blew up out of nowhere. Like we played every major film festival uh, it was well reviewed. We were in the New York Times, for God's sakes. Like it was, it was a pretty massive success on a small scale, for sure. And um, that kind of kickstarted things on a really good path that I've been riding ever since. So I've worked on, like, you know, I've produced a bunch of things since then. I was, I decided to kind of re-educate myself and go work on some bigger shows. I worked on a TV series. I was an assistant director for a couple of years, and. Uh, then kind of worked my way up the ladder to where I'm working as a head of development now for a production company. I haven't directed anything since, but I've been sort of quietly working behind the scenes on things. So that's that's like the the real, real Cole's Notes version of it. So would you say that you've basically like, like, do you plan on directing again or are you going to just stay in the producer side of things? Um, I think I'm going to direct again. The urge to do it is coming back. So I haven't stopped writing since. I've actually been okay in the writing department i've worked and written on a lot of other projects and i think it's only now after a few years because like vicious was a really really tough shoot um and i'm super super proud of what came out of it but you kind of go at what cost and it was enough of a cost at a point that i was just like i'm going to take a break for a little bit i'm going to try some other things and just see how other avenues and different departments work but now that I'm through all of that after the last few years, yeah, like I'm I'm pretty excited to get behind the camera again. So, and uh, have you uh, you just finished a project? Yeah, so I was uh, I was a writer on a film that was a drastic departure from anything I'd done before. It was a it was a drama actually. It was called Home Free. I was brought on in January of this year, right after I got back from Christmas break. Um, they were having some issues with the original writer. They were about to go into production. Everything was fully funded and ready to go. And they had a clear set start date, but they had an enormous amount of changes they needed to make to the script. And the original writer, for their own personal reasons, just didn't feel they could do it and they didn't want to be a part of it anymore. So I was signed on in January and we were going to start shooting in March. And I completely rewrote the script back to front uh, and was writing pretty much consistently up until we stopped shooting I was we're there on set re rewriting every day so that was a really cool uh experience i mean it was 
a little bit like, you know, building a train while you're on the tracks, knowing <laughs> that you have to reach your destination and you're sort of like grabbing people as you're going. Um, so that was tough, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. I mean, it was a great experience. It was a great cast. Uh, we got to work with like Art Hindle, who I always loved from the like Porkies and the Brood, and, you know, any number of other cool shit. Black Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was back in the day. So that was fun to kind of work side by side with him because he was the lead in the movie. Now, what the movie ends up being, I have no idea, but it was fun just kind of being the writer, being there and having such an influence on, you know, kind of the direction it was going while also managing expectations from producers, the director and everything else. So it was a great learning experience. And I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see it for sure. Uh, Scott, you got anything or are you just sitting there enjoying yourself? No, I, I just figure we're keeping the format when we have a guest. I just keep quiet till like <laughs> close to the end. Right? <laughs> I'm like, we have a formula, Chris. Why are you fucking it up? <laughs> no, I, like I, I, was, I was just listening. Um, but in terms of that, like you, it sounds like you've gone through pretty much the fucking roller coaster of the, you know, movie, like career or whatever, like up yeah. downs and everything. But like the, this last one you were talking about, how did like how does that feel? Kind of going in knowing it was somebody else, and now you're like, fuck, it's all on me to make this work, right? Um, yeah, there was definitely a lot of that. I didn't really feel it because I was sort of got to work in a little bit of a bubble for the first month, at least where I was sort of left alone to my own devices. Um, <clears throat> but once we started doing like production meetings and like the cast was already in place and I started dealing with the cast as that loot, as that start date got closer and closer. Yeah. It was, it was intimidating as hell because you started realizing you're like, oh my God, all these departments are waiting on my draft. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, oh shit. Like, and it's, it's not just like a little movie anymore, you know, like it's, it's got a full fledged massive department. Um, and like, they're waiting on like, just like every word you say in a meeting, they'd stop you and be like, wait, wait, did you say there's a book on that counter? <laughs> like, yeah, yes. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was intimidating in the sense too, that you're not the director. So you you're kind of like creating this this visual language that you're hoping is going to be translated well by the person who's directing it and by all the other teams. But I mean, at the same time, too, it's like it's it's just like making any other movie. It's just there's just way more people now that you're answering to. But, yeah, it was a little intimidating. It was more scary in the sense of just like knowing that when we got on set on day one that, oh, I'm going to have to be here every day still rewriting. Um, and. I actually, I, I really welcome the challenge because I think it's, I mean, it's the, the age old saying of, you know, like you write the movie three times, you write it before you shoot it, you write it while you're shooting it and you write it in the edit. And I've been a hand in the edit as well. So yeah, it was, it was intimidating, but it was, it was cool. Again, like I said, what the movie ends up being is I have no idea at a certain point, you just kind of have to throw your hands up in the air and be like, I'm not the, the filmmaker making this. I'm just the writer and they have to pick and choose what they do. And you're sort of, I thought the more challenging thing by not being the director was that, you know, there's things you feel so strongly about that shouldn't should or should not be in there that mm -hmm. the kind of having the ability to like surrender to somebody else's voice and be like, okay, you have a vision. I don't see it, but if you think it's going to work, then let's give it a shot. And sometimes that's incredibly rewarding. And sometimes you go, okay, great. You know, what an awesome learning lesson. I think that's, 
that's the biggest thing I took away from the show. And just even working with the cast who are all, you know, it's, it's a significantly predominantly older cast. And a lot of them have been working in the Canadian film industry a hell of a lot longer than I have primarily the, uh, the three actresses who play the daughters and just the, the wealth of experience and knowledge they had from all their experience. Like, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. Like, like I learned a lot just off of writing this little drama and it was nice to, you know, not have to go every 10 pages worrying about how you, somebody needed to die in a scene. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> you actually had to rely on like some, some somewhat serious dramatic chops to be like, Oh my God, how do you get out of this scene? So it was pretty cool. Yeah. I enjoyed it. So after your first film, you were like, that's it. The the doors are going to open yeah. and they didn't, yeah. but for and the sake, did. but for the sake of vicious, you were at Fantasia, you were at the big festivals, you were with the the people, the movers and the shakers. So yeah. did the doors open or like what, what happened like in that like roller coaster ride of that film? Yeah. I mean, they open, but they don't, I mean, part of it too, again, at 22, you know, you just, you're, you're young and stupid and you don't, you know, you have like a fantasized version of a world and you also don't like, I was really, really, really unnecessarily cocky, I think, at 22, and maybe had a slightly abrasive attitude towards things. And I think if there were opportunities, I probably didn't handle it well or didn't know what to look for. So when it came time to, like, vicious, especially after going through Defective, which, you know, is a bit older, it was a way longer shooting. And even though the movie didn't necessarily do well, there were still cool meetings we were a part of. And you started to see certain facets of things. So when it got to For the Sake of Vicious and it came out, I had a much clearer head about like, well, part of it was too, is I just thought the movie would tank. So <laughs> I was surprised because I was like, you know, it, it was it was made, shot and edited and released so fast. It was under a year. Like it was really, really quick. I mean, the movie, by the time we had wrapped shooting, I had a full cut of it the following month. And it was pretty much the version of the movie that got released. Like, that's the fastest turnaround on a movie I've ever had. And then it was posted and done by, we shot it in October of 2019, and it was done by March of 2020. So it was a very, very short amount of time. So there wasn't a lot of time to have perspective on it. And I think because the shoot was so tough on on all of us, uh, specifically Gabe and myself, I, I had trouble seeing the forest through the trees with the movie. I just saw all the struggle with it and I just kind of went, I, I don't know what to think of this movie anymore. But Gabe, to his credit, he saw what it could be um, and everything he thought it would be, it ended up doing. But in terms of like the doors opening, yeah, they did. They don't open in the way you think they do. Um, it's not like somebody hands you like a golden key or a golden, you, you more just like, it's like the door opens and you can sort of peek inside and start putting your foot in, you know, and getting a better idea of it. And I just had a, a better mindset of how to take advantage of what those doors were showing you rather than thinking you were above it or something like that. Like I said, even so much of the opportunity of rather than going to make another movie, I took the advantage of knowing I had a little bit of street cred from For the Sake of Vicious to get myself hired on to go work on like a big TV show or you know, like to go work on some Lifetime movies even just for the experience of getting some like, OK, I want to work on a bigger show and see what the sets are like and, you know, work in the production offices and work as assistant director, even as just a trainee and kind of work my way up to first on those shows, you know. So 
those were the doors that I thought it opened. And it also opened me to a whole bunch of wonderful people that, you know, I didn't know who were out there, you know, whether it was producers or even just fellow crew members and just gives you a better perspective on the filmmaking industry. But I mean, since then, yeah, I mean, to get to be head of development for this company in Toronto and to get to go to like, I got to go to the Cannes Film Market and Film Festival this this past May. Like that's that's something I dreamed of back then when I was making Dead Genesis and it took 14 years, but I got there and I got to sit in those meetings and I got to just kind of observe and listen and be with these distributors and sales agents. I mean, that's the real money for filmmakers. I, I wish all filmmakers could do that rather than hanging out with other film, which obviously is super important. You've got to meet with other filmmakers. You've got to meet with other actors, writers, and blah, blah, blah. But you really, really, really should embed yourself in the business side of things and go talk to sales agents and distributors, go to these film markets and sit with them and see what's being made and see how hard it is out there and what movies are selling for so you can kind of have a more realistic expectation of what you're working on next or what you're going to do. That's not to say that you still shouldn't take chances, but um, I just think it's it's invaluable knowledge that I wish a lot of filmmakers would do more of. Yeah, it is called the entertainment business, right? So Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is, before we get into Twister, is there anything else that you want to throw down now, right now? or No, I'm good. I'm excited to talk about Twister. Let's do it. I mean, let's go for it. All right, Scott, you want to take this away? Um, okay, let's be honest here. This movie pretty much just puts the pop in popcorn. It's Great. like, like for me, uh, we'll skip ahead. Um, cause that ending fucking gets me every time. And I'll tell you, I always think when they're in that F5 looking up that I'm going to see that fucking dad still swirling around in there. <laughs> like every, I don't know what it is, but I don't know if it's, if it's the way they just like stage that scene or everything. But every time that camera pans up and to look up and that guy, I fucking expect to see that dad still like riding <laughs> a cow or something. <laughs> but you, but I'm, well, you said it at the beginning. This, this is your like best movie of the nineties. You said, I, I think it's, I, I mean, I have the fondest memories of it from the nineties. It's interesting how when time passes, you start to, I mean, you guys are probably a little bit older than I am, but I don't think I fully appreciated until now how good we actually had it in the nineties. There was a string of some really cool shit being made in the nineties, you know? And I think I took it for granted as a kid or even as like, you know, coming into being a teenager at the end of it, where it seemed like the age of like, it's when the A-listers really started to take over and like do these movies. And that seemed like a negative back then for some reason. But now since the two thousands and especially what we're going through now with like superhero movies and IP movies. And I'm like, I don't know why we shit on the nineties so much. I mean, they're making big blockbusters, but they weren't based on anything, you know, like it's amazing that in 1996, a movie about a really bad day of tornadoes was such a massive hit. Like, I can't even fathom something like that now. And it had a really, really solid cast has a fucking phenomenal soundtrack. Um, you know, not even just the score, but just even the songs they pick. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a movie that when it came out, I was, I was obsessed with it in the summer of 96 because, so I was born and raised in Edmonton, Alberta. And, you know, you're, you're pretty much in, in Canada's own version of a tornado belt there. 
1987, uh, July 31st of 1987, there was a massive tornado in Edmonton. It was called Black Friday. It was an F4. It killed like 27 people, lasted two hours. It was just an epic, epic tornado. And as a kid in Edmonton, you grow up knowing about that. Like that's just part of the culture there. And, you know, when I was young, I wanted to be a filmmaker already. And I really wanted to make a movie about tornadoes. And that came out right as that was percolating in the back of my head was Twister. And I remember seeing the trailers for it where it's like from the director of Speed. And I loved Speed. And and it's just, I was so excited to go see it. And it delivered on everything that I hoped it would at that time. Um, And I think that summer, like, I probably saw that movie at least nine times. Like I just would just keep going back. My parents would drop me off. They'd go see something else and I would go see Twister. I knew every line, every scene, and it never got old. And I watched it again yesterday. And I think I've watched it once more. Like I watched it last year on a whim. And, you know, I've watched it periodically, obviously, since it came out. But it just, it's still, like, some movies from the 90s, like, I'll give you, for instance, like, we watched Free Willy the other day. (laughs) I haven't seen Free Willy since it came out. And I had very, very fond memories of it. And I couldn't believe how fucking old the movie looked. (laughs) I was like, Jesus, like, this was groundbreaking in 93. When I watched Twister yesterday, some visual effects aside, I'm like, you know what? It still looks good. Even the cinematography is still pretty solid by today's standards it's got a sense of awe that you know because it's like after that we watched my wife and i we watched guardians of the galaxy 3 which i i still enjoyed and i still i I love those films but for some reason the 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 razzle dazzle of the the visual effects just don't hit the same way that it did when i was watching twister like four hours earlier I don't know why those effects still hold up and work for me. There's just a sense of awe to how they shoot it. Maybe it's because they use it so sparingly. You know, like when you see the tornadoes, you're not lingering it on it too long. Or they just, it's such a good match of like practical photography with like visual effects work that, I don't know, there's just a greater sense of like Hollywood magic to it that that still works on me. And Mark Mancina's score is great. And then when they leave Aunt Meg's place and his score turns into human beings from Van Halen. I was like, holy shit, this still rocks. <laughs> like, like they're going to chase a tornado. This is exciting, you know? So I don't know. They made a whole film about making tornado chasers look like rock stars. And it's a theme park, right? It's like every tornado scenario just gets worse and worse. You get to the drive-in scene and it's turned into a horror film, you know, when they're stuck in the auto body shop. And it's just like, there's no score and it's just these awful sound effects and it's these sound, and I mean awful in terms of like horrific sound effects. They're not bad sound effects. And I love that they make the tornadoes sound way more threatening than they do in real life. They got these high pitched whines. They've got these like I heard they had like cam and camel and lion growls that they worked into the mix. And it's just like, like obviously, as you can see, I love Twister and it still works for me. I don't like when they get stuck in the F five at the end. Just from like a, even as a kid. I'm like, there's no fucking way. Like, you would be... I mean, there's already a million scenarios in this movie where they would be dead. But I'm like, that one specifically, I'm like, there is no way in hell that would work. (laughs) And I know I'm supposed to suspend my disbelief, but for some reason, that's where I draw the line, is those two attached to that pipe, looking up in the middle of it, I'm like, which what we should have seen them was get ripped apart, you know? So... 
Well, I mean, there's a sequel coming out next year, so maybe you'll get that wish. You know what I mean? I, I may, maybe. I, I don't have high hopes for this sequel. I'm like, what could you possibly do that they didn't already do in this masterpiece from 1996? So, and and you, well, you're absolutely correct, though. Uh, the special effects, like, you kind of expect to, like, sit down and watch this movie from the 90s and go, oh, that's great. That has not aged well. It looks amazing. Like, I would yeah. 100% agree with you. It looks fantastic. Yeah. And I mean, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, well, so it's interesting. So, uh, you know, Oppenheimer, the big film that's out, one of them other than Barbie, uh, was made for $100 million. The budget on this thing was $92 million in 96. And it's yep. done basically the same amount of money, $500 million in 96. Like, that is a big amount of money to be putting into this film. But, like, from the special effects, you know, Amblin Entertainment, uh, an unbelievable ensemble cast. Uh, yes. and you see where that money goes. And I think that is maybe one of the reasons it still stands up. And I agree with you that like the use of practical camera work alongside the special effects. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. And I mean, if you think about it, like $500 million as a box office gross in 1996, like that's, that was mammoth. That was huge. Like nothing was hitting a billion dollars back then until Titanic the next year. Um, so like $500 million at the box office would have been, like our equivalent of like if a Twister movie came out now and made a billion dollars, you know, or two billion for that matter. And I mean, as like, as, as you said right at the beginning, I, I know this isn't like a perfect movie, but I'm not trying to say like we've got like an award winning, like phenomenal piece of art history here. Like it is. Well, definitely... it was award winning. Well, sure. OK, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, in the terms of like, you know, we're not we're not comparing it to like a, a classic per se, but. Um, the fact that it wears its its popcorniness on its sleeve so well is is really exciting. I mean, we've got Bill Paxton's character, like the guy can just sense wind and storms. You know, <laughs> like, it's such a stupid idea, but he Bill Paxton makes it work. You know, like he's just standing outside that diner, picking up the dirt, watching it fall. And, you know, we're just getting these introspective close-ups on him, <laughs> you know? Philip Seymour Hoffman goes up and is, what's up, boss? Going green. Greenage. <laughs> like, he, he can't find can... aliens, but he can find a tornado with sand. That's you know right. I mean? That's right. And at what point, I was talking to my wife about this, we were watching, I'm like, when did Bill Paxton go from being, like, the annoying doofus dork in movies to, like, a handsome leading man? Where was the transition? I don't know, because even in, like, True Lies, which was what only two years before Twister, he was still a dorky looking piece of shit. Yeah. And then you get well, to like Twister and you're like, holy shit, he's this handsome leading man. So I have the answer to that question. Okay, great. Yes, please. I'd love to know. It, it is this movie. It is this film. This is what yeah. did it. Originally, up until pre production, it was Tom Hanks. He's the one that read the lines. He does he even uh did the auditions with the the cast. He's the one that chose the character's wardrobe that stayed wow. to the to it but he had to drop out pre-production okay. and he was really impressed with uh paxton from apollo 13 oh, that's he's right. the one that literally fought for paxton to get the role and he he got the role over gibson costner quay travolta and cage wow and tom hanks we trust then huh <laughs> So there's an alternate universe somewhere where Tom Hanks is the leader. I really would be curious to see part of the charm is the fact that it is Bill Paxton though, you know, like mm -hmm. that's like one of the highlights when I think of Twister is that it's like, Oh, it's Bill Paxton and he's awesome in it. Um, 
So yeah, interesting. It's huh. it's funny though. It made all that money, uh, and it's sitting at a fifty eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes, sixty three from the critics, but fifty eight from the audience. So I don't know if that's because I mean, older films get scored weird on Rotten Tomatoes because only some people are going to score them. But I thought that the numbers were going to be much higher on this. Yeah, I'm actually a little surprised by that too. I mean, I don't remember, obviously as a kid, when a movie comes out, you don't think of critical stuff at all or what a movie's being rated by critics by any means. But I seem to recall, like it was packed every time I saw it that summer. So, I mean, audience and box office don't lie to a point. So I guess that's all. Yeah, the, the money, the money was there, right? Like the you, money was you there. See, you said you saw it, it, what, six times or something? So nine, nine times. Yeah, at least. Yeah. So it was, yeah, I don't know. There's just something special about it that is, has, has endured to this day and it still holds up and it's still fun. I like that it's just a theme park movie too. I mean, shit at the end when it's just him and Helen Hunt and like everything is hitting that highway, like the tractors, the trucks, and then there's a house that rolls into the middle. And of the then they drive they through the house. <laughs> and then they drive through the house. I'm like, you, you can't pay for that sort of thing. And I think if a movie... I hope that this new Twister movie they make at the very least adheres to the rules of like, okay, well, if they're going to be in the middle of a tornado, whatever, but at least they have that happy balance of like practical versus CGI, you know, some movies are definitely starting to bring it back a little bit now, but I hope that that's one lesson that they take away from the original was that part of the fun was that you actually felt you were in the real scenario with them. You know, it didn't, you know, just like shit was actually flying past their face. There was a real sense of danger that you can't get when you've got, you know, digitally animated pieces of debris flying past you. So, oh, yeah, like Paxton and Hunt got fucked up huge <laughs> filming the, this movie. Big time. Um, yeah, like that last scene with them in the cornfield, I guess when she, the original, like her first or their first shot at it that her door swung back at her and fucking nailed her head like in between oh my god they, they had to like wedge the door open so it wouldn't happen again <laughs> that's that's actors for you right like they're like fuck it i might have a mild concussion but let's go round two let's but see it's that two. it's it's that cool like sense of like people were endangered making this movie you know? <laughs> like, and it, it shows when you watch the film you're like this actually looks dangerous to film I think it's the third tornado in the movie that they're running towards where it's just like, you know, it's just him and Helen Hunt and it's the one at the end of the road and they're on the highway and he has to climb to the back of the truck and he's trying to turn Dorothy on and all the shit's flying, the hail and everything. Like, he looks like he's actually in pain, you know? Like, you're like this isn't an actor acting. Like, this is an actor being, like, put through the shit. Yeah, people are throwing stuff at him and using yeah. a leaf blower and everything else. Yeah. Exactly. I'm like, it looks like it was dangerous to make. And that's, I, I like that kind of filmmaking. I mean, it's within reason, obviously, which is probably why Tom Cruise's films do what they do, because the danger is real for most of the part when you're watching him go through that shit. And I mean, the movie is just so infinitely quotable. I mean, you were doing the whole penis line at the beginning, <laughs> you know, like Philip Seymour Hoffman alone, like just leaning in with, it's the sex <laughs> <laughs> And what was the other one that was killing me? We was like, he's talking about Bill being the extreme and he was doing the infinite ruage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. I really do. And that meal still looks amazing that they have at Meg's place. Oh, the, the steak, steak and eggs? Eggs. 
the mashed potatoes and the gravy that is practically a food group like i watch that now and i'm like yeah i would i would destroy a plate of that absolutely 100 percent. and you got carrie elway in there being the you know shit-eating grin bad guy of course the bad guy is just like some poor guy that happened to get some government and corporate grants you know <laughs> And he's this poor evil bastard who dies in an awful way. This driver gets impaled through the face. Like, ah, the 90s were a very special time. And, you know, then what we had, like, oh, my God, Dante's Peak and Volcano the next year. And it was it was really, I, I, my friend, my buddy Justin and I always talk about this. And, like, again, we had a, we went through a really special period in the 90s where we got some really cool disaster movies that, at the time felt so epic and large, but now in hindsight feels so quaint and, you know, like kind of insular. Like I remember shit independence day. That was a big deal when that came out too. Like that mm-hmm. felt like that kind of scale of disaster was, yeah, I, I had never seen anything like that. So, and now you see that every week in a new movie. Well, and we're living it now. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all, all those disaster movies uh, that we were like, wow, look at all that fiction. And uh, yeah, now we turn on the news and I'm like, well, it's disaster day again. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. 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 So yeah, it's cool, man. I, yeah. Well, Scott, do you, uh, do you have anything else you want to say about this film or what? Um, well, how we were talking about like alternate universe with Tom Hanks. Yes. Th- this, um, this movie actually was supposed to be like fucking rated R like Spielberg had them technically rewrite it too to tone it down to PG 13. But yeah, there's supposed to be like a lot of fucking swearing and a lot of fucking gory violence going on. So when they rewrote it, a lot of Carrie Ellis scenes got cut because his were the more graphic and same with uh seymour hoffman apparently a lot of the shit he says (laughs) in that film got cut too no surprises yeah but the thing i'm in terms of hoffman the thing that got cut that i'm a little upset about because uh there's the scene where he sits on the lawn chair i've heard this story the balls right yeah so if if you know if tristar pictures can fucking make market basic instinct just off of sharon stone how <laughs> how could wb not fucking market off of uh philip seymour hoffman man they missed yeah. the fucking opportunity they missed the nut shot it was right <laughs> there yeah right in the open and didn't they have to like go in and post and cgi i was see i was watching the movie yesterday and i was trying to i'm like okay so i'm like i'm pretty sure when we first see him when they show up he's wearing the shorts Mm-hmm. And then when they cut to what I presume was the shot where the balls were noticeable, he's suddenly wearing the shorts have become like full length cargo pants. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I could see when I was watching it yesterday. I'm like, some pretty impressive CGI. He's just got like long cargo pants now. See, it's interesting. Now, obviously, I, I would love a good gory. I love a good gory, violent movie. But something like Twister, I'm glad they made it the way they did. I think it works better in that realm, you know, because it's like, would it have been fun to see the alternate reality version of it? Absolutely. But I, I kind of like the, the PG-13 semi-family-friendly version of Twister. Like, that's how I remember it. And that's how, you know, we have to be grateful for what it is. Sometimes when you hear these stories about what a movie could have been, and if the movie shit, you go, yeah, I would have really liked to have seen that version. But with something like Twister, I go, no, I'm very happy we got the version we got. Cause it's, it's very special and it's its own thing. And 
you know, it it still works for me, and it's still I, I mean, I, obviously there's still an audience for it. They found enough of a reason to go make a sequel to it all these years later. So, yeah, Twister Man. It's um, what else can we talk about with that movie? I love that movie. <laughs> Scott? <laughs> oh, what else? Oh, okay. I thought that was just a rhetorical question. Like, man, well, if you're talking sequel, it sounds like they're doing the Cameron route because, you know, they put an S at the end of it. So it's well, of Twisters. Course, Twisters. Yes. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. all it takes. That infamous, like, just put a dollar sign through it. And there we go. Yeah. We're off and running. <laughs> yeah. I'm really curious to see what they could do. I, again, I just think, like, what they think will happen won't happen which is just you know when twister came out like we didn't have any movies like that that was you know that's was the beauty of that time where you know like stuff like we we're talking about independence day dante's peak volcano like we weren't really getting movies like that we're now a film like twisters yeah we haven't had a big natural disaster movie in a while but i just don't think it's going to land with the same impact they think it will because there's already so much spectacle that i don't think people would turn up like it's like again, we were talking about the magic of the nineties. Like people turned up to see a movie about tornadoes because we hadn't seen that yet. Like that was a that was a mind blowing concept back then. Now to go see a film about tornado chasers, uh, I just don't think it would resonate the same way with an audience. I hope I'm wrong. It'd be really cool if we had like a sudden twister resurgence. So. <laughs> I mean, Bar 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 Barbie's see. Barbie's gonna make a billion dollars, and Barbie is gonna make a billion dollars. But we haven't had a Barbie movie yet, so it makes sense. I go, there we go. Um, yeah, although I I am curious to see visual effects wise. Like, I still think in all these movies and TV series we've seen, there's yes, visual effects have gotten better, but they still haven't quite cracked tornadoes for some reason. And even though they don't look that great in Twister. There's still something about how they move, especially the big one at the end, that I'm like, I haven't seen anybody do it better since. Like, they just, they've got the weight of the tornado down. And like, I find with visual effects, it's all about like things feel too light now in movies, where mm -hmm. it's, you know, like the first Jurassic Park movies work so well because they had weight. They felt like there was something there. Um, and the tornadoes in the first Twister, like, they at least move like a real tornado and they feel like it's a, it's a tangible construct where, when you see twister effects in series or shows now, you just go, I don't know, it looks like a very simple plug-in that somebody just went, oh, insert tornado here. So And it might even have a shark in it. So they have had sharks in them. That's right. Yes. Yeah. So Yeah, the the thing with this one and like I think it's with Helen Hunt's performance too, like it fucking makes you believe that like that twister is fucking off to get her right yes like, exactly right it's like yeah. it's a fucking vendetta it's it's jaws for the revenge right it like, is yeah <laughs> that twister's coming it is yeah and like you said if it, i would not have been shocked considering some of the stuff in that movie it is surprising that the spirit of her dad at the very least is not floating around that tornado <laughs> joe it's okay <laughs> let me go joe <laughs> I was, I was I was laughing when I watched it again yesterday at the beginning with the dad holding on to the door. And I'm like, he would have been fine if he just went in. Like, That's what I thought too. I was like, just let go of the door, dude. Just, yeah, just let I, go of the door. We were doing that yesterday. I'm like, why is he holding on to the like? What does he think that's actually going to do? If, yeah, if the hinges and stuff aren't going to get ripped yes. off, your hand is not going to help you out here. No, not at all. I'm like, just go into the back, hang out. It'll be fine, you know, and be with your family, and then, but then we wouldn't have what we have in twister 
So I'm curious, like, what's your guys' opinions reflecting now on cinema in the 90s? Like, how do you guys look at it? What is What does it feel like for you? Well, Scott's Press. definitely the popcorn guy, right? So cinema for me in the 90s is stuff like Tarantino or, you know, Art House, that type of stuff. So, I mean, it was a great time. David Lynch, Cronenberg, right. that type of stuff. Uh, I think that maybe with this strike and, you know, production companies like A24 – basically scabbing on the other side on the on the production side uh pushing forward more independent cinema i, I think we're going to get a, a another research resurgence a resurgence similar to what we did in the 90s right right do you, now do you feel like for the both, both of you do you, and, and maybe it it's, it's felt like this to me but maybe for you two it didn't do you feel like the 90s kind of got a bad rep there for a while where people thought but all the movies of the nineties weren't as good as we thought they were, but now we've kind of come back around to it. Or I, I, I don't want to presume anybody's ages here, but I'm assuming you guys might be a little bit older than I am. So you might have a little bit better perspective of what it felt like to be there in the nineties. I was watching everything as a kid. So everything felt new to me in the nineties, you know? So I cast from 20 to 45. So, <laughs> you know, it depends. Uh, but in terms of the nineties, I think, um, I think original IP was king. Right. Like, like I think the, the beginning of the franchise or like, to me, the, the nineties, like the share, the only share universe I knew at the time was view askew. Right. right? Yes. Was Jay, Jay and Silent Bob going into these different movies and you're like, Oh shit. Like they're all in the same, they're all happening. I'm like, how the fuck are they all the same? How I'm like, how can Ben Affleck be five different people? <laughs> <laughs> But, but I think as well, there's a lot of, um, like Chris said too, but I think there was a lot of, I don't want to say angst, like the movies for me of the nineties were singles. Right. Um, oh, what was the one with Ben Stiller, Ethan Hawke and Winona Ryder? Oh, oh reality yeah. bites. Reality yeah. Bite. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. Like it was, those are those Gen like X that. films, right? Yeah, like the, those were the ones because, like, to me, I was coming into my teens, right? When when these movies were coming out, and I'm like, this is technically kind of what I should be going through, I guess, kind of thing. But but it was also like the age of the action star, right? Like, sure, absolutely. Like the best movie, like the the most visual effects that still blew my mind was fucking double impact and how the fuck is John Claude Van Damme in two <laughs> in the same scene with himself right but yeah like for me I have fond memories of it but I, I'm not Chris with Tarantino like you know stuff like that it was just more like you know the shit's cool right like right, Dust Till right. Dawn was cool Desperado was cool right it was Absolutely. like the resurgence of these directors who kind of, you know, similar, like just doing small budgets and just getting their shit out. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I mean, and I'll, the, the, the crazy part about this is so much of that was Miramax. Like yeah. those indie films that we're talking about. Uh, our producer just said, you know, like stuff like Goodwill hunting and obviously silence of lambs is not Miramax, but like fight club and Pulp Fiction and, and like those indie scripts, you know what I mean? Well, it's interesting too how it's like the '90s really. I I look at it like this, where I'm like, they really were '90s cinema was really a byproduct, like the perfect like child of like 
what 70s and 80s movies were like without 70s and 80s movies like that's what created this sort of 90s cinema pulp whether it was like tarantino or rodriguez smith david fincher michael bay all these guys like all their influences were coming from like the the proving ground which was the 70s and 80s of cinema like 70s especially because at the end of the 60s we kind of had what's what i hope is happening now where the films just got so big and stopped making the money they were that the 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 tiny independent voices started coming out and then we got the 70s which was just the explosion of like the auteur directory like the de palmas the scorsese's you know the spielbergs the george lucas and everything like that where they created these these really interesting unique visions but it's funny because now when you watch interviews with any of them and they talk about these films it's just them recycling in their head the stuff that they watched growing up and it's their reinterpretation of it and then the 80s was just I, i'm still trying to figure out what the 80s like, you know, like jacked up on steroids blowing yeah, stuff up sex okay. drugs and rock and roll man yeah like it's, it's great so i'm like the 90s became like the perfect balance of what the 70s and 80s were and we got like these really interesting films out of it um and that's when like you know people like myself came out of that and i feel like you know, when you're younger, you want to be cool and say, oh, I'm inspired by the movies of the 70s and 80s. And you're like, no, I think I'm I'm actually a product of the 90s. Like, my filmmaking style comes from what I saw back then and the re- whatever reinterpretation of it. The 2000s, as far as I'm concerned, I mean, I know we had some good stuff, but it just feels like this dead space. <laughs> like, I don't know, like, like 2000 to 2010. I know if we did a deep dive and you guys started bringing out some titles, I'd be like, oh, yeah, that. Oh, yeah, that. Oh, yeah, that. But it doesn't feel like it hit with the same impact that, you know, like the 70s, the 80s and the 90s had. I, I, but I, I'm willing. To, I'd love to hear your opinion on it. So, well, I, mean, I mean, you're 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 comparing a time period like the end of the old Hollywood system. And, and there was also a huge counterculture movement. I mean, we're specifically talking about uh, Hollywood and, and the United States cinema. Uh, I mean, yes. you know, you've got like Godard and stuff doing stuff in France with the French New Wave. Um but I, I would say that, like, in the 2000s, uh, you, you, you have already started to move to the extremely corporate environment that we now find ourselves in. Like, right. You know what I mean? Where it just be, starts to become, like, how can we just make money? But, I mean, people also, like, cinema habits have been changing since, like, streaming services really kicked in, right? Like, the idea yes, of just being, a, like, what movie do you want to watch? And then going and watching it on your phone, right? Yeah. Yeah, I was, uh, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say uh, I would disagree with you in terms of like just making money. I think there is more opportunity to take chances in the nineties, 2000, because if a movie didn't hit in theaters, they knew it would eventually hit on DVD. And that's where majority of the money was right. Like, you know, culture wise, a Friday night going to blockbuster and just fucking walking the aisles, right? Like you don't have that opportunity anymore, especially just looking at those algorithm, you know, you know driven screens or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It, it, the shit's just, you know, you know, my kids can go on my Netflix and decide to watch like fucking whatever, like on whatever show they decide to watch. Now all of a sudden everything for me because they didn't select their profile, they select my profile. There's <laughs> a lot of this shit, and I'm like, I don't want any of this shit. Like, what the fuck? But yeah, I think I think that's the thing, and you know, with the strike and everything too, like it with without that extra revenue income, I think that's why we're getting so many 
like Marvel movies. It's just like until I think they're going to cut down now because they're these comic book movies aren't making the same amount that they used to make. Right, right. So now they got to find the next thing. So whether it's Twisters or now you're going to have like fucking Barbie movies, then you're going to have <laughs> doll movies, then you're going to have yeah. Bratz movies. Like now it's going to just be toy line movies, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a. I mean, it's it's interesting because it kind of brings us back to where we started, just talking about being a filmmaker in this landscape, which is you know we just want to talk about Canadian filmmakers. It's it's so hard right now to, especially being at these film markets and doing these things. Like, there's just so much content out there now that to get your film made and released in a way that you think you'd want to is next to impossible. And the way that what they're paying for movies now, especially sales agents and distributors, is just dropping drastically more and more every year. It's really scary. I mean, what we could sell a movie for in 2017 when you could sell to, like, the States for $50,000, that same deal now is $5,000. Like, it's it's really terrifying. And I hope there's something that changes with that, and I, I don't know what that's going to be. You know, this I, I really hope the strike does the right thing and it isn't just like a sort of like a a page one like okay well we fixed it but it's not really a fix like i hope there's a seismic change to it because in terms of what we're making off of back end off of these movies playing on tubi or something like it's it's not sustainable at all like it just it just isn't and um I hope there's a change. I mean, there might not be. I don't know. Maybe we'll just find whatever the new way of doing things is. I don't, I've heard people try and argue now that with like TikTok or the way YouTube has been, that movies are going to go away. And people, I'm like, I don't believe in that. I think movies are, are here to stay. It's just, you know, the success ratio or what they look like is, is what's, I don't know. I, I still have a feeling like people will still turn out for something good. I, I have to have faith in that. Like a good movie is a good movie, no matter what era it comes out in, you know, like I, it's, it's not enough to say that like, like something like Oppenheimer, even like Barbie, you go, okay, it makes sense to me that it's made a billion dollars, but Oppenheimer doing as well as it is, is like an R rated three hour film, even with all the A-list cast it has in it. I'm like, it has to be more than that. Cause they're not just turning up to see the cast. Like the fact that it's a good movie is why it's probably doing as well as it is. So I hope there's what I'm hoping is that again, like I mentioned earlier, is that the thing that happened at the end of the sixties is happening now where these films have gotten so big and the rate of return has gotten so small that they're going to have to go back to independent filmmakers and those voices, wherever they are going to emerge and then start showing people their reinterpretations of stuff that we've grown up with, but it's going to be this new and fresh thing that we couldn't possibly think of. And hopefully that's what kickstarts this again. And then in another 25 years, some other big IP, like it's just this vicious circle, right? <laughs> so um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting to kind of see what's going on right now. Uh, you know what? Actually, Reese, that's a great place to leave off uh, your doomsday prediction of the cyclical <laughs> nature of uh, the arts community. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, just like a wealth of knowledge. I mean, you just, Sometimes I would ask those questions to get those kind of answers about the, the film industry and like where we are, because, you know, it always seems like a bit of a black hole to people not in the industry. Uh, and yeah. you hit some of those like really well and in a very scary way, like, hey, if you're making movies, you maybe want to go get a different profession. <laughs> well, yeah, and I don't want to be too negative here. I guess, I mean, we should say on a positive note, I mean, like, 
if you're an artist go out there and create you should still be making like we need those voices out there we do 100 percent. i don't think it's the end of the world by any means i just think the the day and age of like when the kevin smiths even were coming out i'm like i just i don't know if that's possible anymore but i would love if it is i really hope it is i really hope that filmmaker is out there right now whether they're listening to this or not and they're I, I don't want them to be afraid to go make that movie you because know? we desperately need that now so awesome well thanks for coming out and uh everybody you'll be able to check out all his links in the show notes and scott unless you have anything we're gonna let reese go all right take it easy man thank you thanks right. guys really thank you it. thank you so much And that is our wrap for the day. Please like and subscribe to this podcast. Tell your friends. If you want to get a hold of us, reach us at the www.howdyoulikethatmovie.com. Like I said, when I watched them drive through the house, I was like, all right now. <laughs> and like, what a, what a commercial for the Ford F-150 though, eh? Oh, not fucking Pepsi, man. Like, how how is the only cans that they're able to find Pepsi cans, right? And then when it goes, I was laughing my ass off because when it goes into the actual tornado and it shows like on the computer screen it literally shows the fucking pepsi symbol and i'm like pepsi paid some good fucking money for absolutely <laughs> man that product placement production by rod shaver fader monkey productions